Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and red all over. I am your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 84. And if you'd like to listen to this one as well as our other episodes, feel free to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to subscribe and then rate us and review us all of those good things. And speaking of good things we were lamenting the fact that last week we might not have anything to talk about and then juventus went out and had maybe the wildest seven day period of a january transfer window they've had in my entire lifetime so with that being said sam lepresti hello sam hello danny exciting but also slightly bittersweet the two uh, you and i have lost both of our large adult sons in uh, in one week Yes, I will be adopting Federico Chiesa in a couple of minutes, so, you know. Ah, oh, man, you beat me to him, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we, might have to, we might have to turn to the feats of strength for that one, then. Yeah. Uh, That's but, right. Uh, but, yeah, this... Uh, Outside of legends, elevate. you and me. All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have Jack referee, it'll be fine. There we go. <laughs> Chucks, hello, Chucks. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Um, well, no time to waste. We've got a lot to talk about, so, uh, yeah, let's... Uh, Let's kick it straight off. That's right. Last but not least, Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. Happy to be here as always. Uh, yeah, eventful week. Eventful week. A lot of things transpired. Really, really excited to, to get into it. An eventful week it was. And obviously, the takeaways of the week will have nothing to do with what happened actually on the field. So before we begin, I will say, Chucks, we will do the Wayne's World. We will go back seven days to what you said in your last takeaway. You know, clearly in January, it seems, I mean, we have what, seven, eight days. Uh, what is it today? Yeah, about eight days uh, left of the month. Pretty clear to me that we're not going to make any signings uh, in the transfer window, uh, in this transfer window, which is fine. Edward, what do you say for yourself? Your takeaway from the week. Uh, yeah, um, my takeaway is uh, this is why you don't make your predictions before events happen. This is how did you I know you were going to say after. that? Because <laughs> it's a catchphrase. <laughs> it's a catchphrase. <laughs> you know all these all you, all you media people with your your buzz phrases and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's quite handy. It I mean it saves a lot of time. Really, <laughs> it saves a lot of cognitive effort actually. But yeah, no, uh, I was wrong um, as I am in many things. But hey, all you know, all you need to do is be right once, and then you hit the jackpot. In terms of my takeaway, uh, yeah, my takeaway, gosh, um, I mean, there's so many things. I'll take, or rather, I'll say one that I think the others won't say to kind of try and be an original, which is, it does look like we are, at least from now till the end of the season, that we're going to be set, I guess, on the whole Rabio slash McKenny on the wing ordeal, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it or experiment. Or an ordeal. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah, no phenomenon ordeal. Well, it's an ordeal. Yeah, some people because uh, a lot of people aren't happy with that, which, you know, um, I don't know I don't fault them for that necessarily. But yeah, it, it does seem like that's going to be that's going to be very, really from now to the end of the season. That's going to be it because we really only have essentially two two wingers. Yeah, two wingers for the from now to the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, get ready uh, to see a lot of McKinney and Rabio even more. Oh. Sam, over to you. I, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna potentially disagree slightly with with Chuck's takeaway, and and my own takeaway would be this: is that we're kind of looking at a Manzukic 2.0 situation. I think on on one wing, I do kind of think that we're gonna end up seeing a a time split of Alvaro Morata and Moisa Kane on that side. I think Allegri, you know, it, Allegri has fresh memories of that. I think both of those players can do well over there. Morata naturally drifts out to that side, even when he's playing as a, as a prima punta and Kane did, did quite well there uh, playing there and in a four, three, three before Christmas and played more of a, a left-sided role when he was on loan from Everton at PSG last year. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what 
that will come out because I think that might end up being what the play is as opposed to Rabio or McKenney. So we'll see what happens and which one of our dueling takeaways turns out to be the right one. Let's go with you, Sergio, your takeaway from the week. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is really just how different this team is going to look, uh, you know, just one month after their last game, right? I think, you know, whatever, you know, I think the general opinion of most of, of Juventus fan base, I know of a lot of people in, in the blog, in this podcast right here, you know, we just thought that this team just wasn't good enough. It wasn't particularly great. They, they lacked quality. They lacked players. And, you know, say what you will about, you know, the current management or whatever, but they went out and they probably realized that they that the team wasn't good enough, that it needed a shakeup, and they shook it up. They really, really did. I mean, it, it's it's by far the biggest flurry of, of moves I can remember as, as a Juve fan in the winter transfer window. It's it's a shakeup. It's a big, big shakeup. I think the team is better, is going to be better than it was before. Whether that, you know, that ends up being through, we'll see. And then I'm sure we'll discuss it in a minute. But at the very least, they they shook the boat. They realized that this team was kind of stuck in, in second gear, wasn't really being all it could be. And they shook it up. And you have to you have to give them props. I think, you know, I'm sure we'll get more into it in a minute, but Every single, I think every single deal was good, just money-wise, just position-wise. I, I think they really, really took to heart what this team needed to do to improve and did it. And especially in a winter transfer window, it's it's incredible. I, I, I'm i very shocked. I didn't say it as Chuck said so publicly, but I agreed with him and that I didn't really think that a lot was going to happen. And well, I guess uh, both both of us were, were wrong. I think... Everybody, in a sense, was wrong because Juventus historically has very much not been a club that does much in terms of the immediate future. I was just the only one foolish enough to say it publicly. Yeah, there you go, Chuck. <laughs> Take that. They just don't do much in January in terms of big spending. And I mean, you look at it and maybe never every now and then, you know, the what I mean, the big January moves that come into my mind are like, the, you know, the Alessandro Matris of the world and the and a, and a few others where. You know, it's it's maybe a, a, a loan with an option to buy or something like that, but not not this. And I'm surprised that we're, you know, five, six minutes into it and we haven't said the name Dusan Vlaovic yet. So, you know, you look at it, Juventus, and we're recording here on, on Sunday, so we haven't hit deadline day yet. But essentially the big four moves for Juventus's transfer window are obviously Dusan in from Fiorentina. Dennis Sakari in from Borussia Mönchengladbach, say that five times fast. And then Dejan Kuluseski and Rodrigo Bentancourt going to Tottenham. So, I mean, it, it's pretty much straightforward. The the big four moves, and I mean, I don't know if we want to take it one by one, but, you know, it, it seems rather foolish to not start with Vlavic, considering what Juventus paid for him. And, hey, you know, Juventus... It's the offense has been coming a bigger and bigger issue as the season has gone on. And well, here we go, signing the top scorer, not named Chiro Immobile in Serie A, who's just turned 22 years old. Yeah, it's it's impressive. And and I mean, to to your point, Danny, it's not just Juventus that don't make a ton of huge moves in the January transfer window. Moves like this don't happen in January, period, for the most part. Doesn't matter what country you're in. Vlaovic is the is now the third largest January transfer after a pair of moves that happened in 2018. Philippe Coutinho going from Liverpool to Barcelona and Virgil van Dijk going from Southampton to Liverpool. One of those worked out better than the other. Very much so. Um, but, you know, before big and, and, big, big Vidge. and before those two. The last major, like really major January transfer that I remembered was uh, was Fernando Torres going from Liverpool to Chelsea. And like you said, you know, when it comes to Juventus, you had, you know, a couple of I've actually got a uh, in the works uh, foreshadowing a list of the top five Juventus January transfers up to this point in history, not counting the guy, the people that we just picked up and it's a pretty bare list. There are a couple of, of highlight names, but it's a pretty bare list. And to, to come up with a, a move like this for Vlaovic, 
who, you know, I, I would have, I was expecting that to come in the summer. I was not expecting Juventus to pull because uh, I'm, I'm still struggling to figure out where that money actually came from. John Elkins, it's magical John, basket of cash. Ma- the, the magical basket of cash that Exor has never let Juventus use up until this point. Cause you ha- cause it, one of the things that, that has been a real constant has been over the last, over the entirety of the Andrea Agnelli presidency for the club has been that Juventus has really had to be self-sustaining. Exor hasn't just opened up the pocketbook and said, here, go sign, you know, huge name after huge name after huge name. So it was to, to see Vlaovic come on. It's, it it, it intrigues me. I would really love to know when the next financials come out and just where that money actually went, uh, came from, but it, it's a obviously he is on the cusp of being a generational, ta- you know, on the cusp of being regarded as a true generational talent. He is, he, he's a, he's a monster goal scorer. Uh, and if, if you were a fly on the wall in our Slack channel, you would uh, earlier this week, you would have seen me getting very upset about this move a little bit in that I didn't necessarily think that, that making this move on its own would have been a major improvement for Juve I would have thought that I mean obviously he would have banged in a a couple of more goals but I didn't see a team that would have been able to give him the kind of service that he would have needed to to keep up you know to to be the guy that everybody thought he would be you know looking at at the Milan game at at other games earlier this year where you just didn't see a lot of of high quality chances being produced and even even uh, earlier this week, on e- I think on on the Jules and Marcotti podcast on ESPN, uh, Julian Lawrence was also was was wondering the same thing: where are the chances coming from? Then the Zakaria move came on, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and I became a little bit less trepidatious about that. I thought that uh, I, I think now you do have a midfield that is that can set itself up to give Vlaovic that kind of service that he needs. And, you know, he doesn't need, he, he has shown so far that he doesn't need a ton of chances to score a ton of goals, but the more, the better. And I think so. And, and I'm, I'm now, I am less skeptical of this move, at least in the short term, as I was earlier this week when it was going down. You know, obviously he's going to, he's now going to be the main striker. He's going to push Alvaro Morata and Moise Kane into backup roles and, and different roles. And between that and the other moves, it's going to force Max Allegri into some changes, I think. And and I think we're going to see, we we might see a little bit more proactive football from Max to try to get Vlaovic those chances to try to, to move things up and, and really play. And I think now there will be a definite improvement. I don't know if it's going to be a situation where we don't lose again in the league and end up romping up to second place, but the, the chances of getting into the top four and passing at least one of the, the teams that we're chasing are better now than they were a week ago. And not just because of Vlavic, but because of the whole, the whole effort of, the, of this transfer window, which really just remade this team in a way that I've never really seen a team remake itself in a, in a January window before. Yeah, I was uh, similarly uh, skeptical about the Vlaovic move, uh, as you were, uh, Sam, uh, for different reasons. Well, no, actually, basically the same reason, yeah, um, in terms of the whole chance creation uh, issue. But then, uh, and I think he's working on an article on this, uh, Calvin uh, in our Slack channel shared some stats on, on Vlaovic and, well, on Vlaovic A and then on Fiorentina and Juve B. In the sense that apparently, and I mean, I don't have the numbers here right in front of me, but I remember vaguely that the basic gist was that Fiorentina and Juventus create a similar number of chances per match. But then, you know, obviously, Vlaovic just banged in. I mean, uh, you know, 30-something, 30-something goals in the 33, I think it was, in the calendar year. Um, And, well, yeah, I can't tell you a single Juve player uh, besides Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, who has banged in uh, 33 uh, in a calendar year as well. Um, That's because there would be nobody else who's been. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, True, true. So, yeah, so, I mean, that kind of won me over a little bit. And, I, you know, I try to be, uh, I mean, I I don't know what you want to say, open to 
yeah, try to be open to persuasion in terms of, you know, changing my mind and like seeing like, okay, my default position was, eh, I'm not so sure about this deal, but then, okay, I got some data, got some more information and indeed more things happen now with more transfers. So, you know, I've been persuaded, I guess, and just kind of nudged towards thinking, okay, there is some method to madness uh, behind this deal. And yeah, it could work out. Um, well, could I, I think it should work out. I think just the signs are like, it, it really should uh, work out. I mean, uh, he's used to Italy. Obviously, he's been in, in you know, this league. Uh, he understands the league. Again, similar chance creation uh, type of uh, team as he's been with uh, before. So, and I mean, obviously, a better quality, better crop of players. So, I mean, I, I'm, you know, optimistic. I think um, I like to not get my hopes up too much. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, yeah, pretty optimistic about that deal. In terms of the, the, the Zakaria, the kind of connection uh, with, or Zakaria, I don't know if it's Zakaria or Zakaria. So I guess we'll learn that. Hey, we, we took us like three months to learn that uh, name. So, hey, we'll take us another three months to do this one. But in terms of that transfer, I mean, yeah, I, I see what you mean, Sam. I guess the speculation on my end, and I, and I mean, I don't know the player very well. And Danny, you kind of foreshadowed even talking to uh, our sister blogs in the, um, on the Dortmund uh, blog and just kind of the German team blogs to see uh, what type of player he is. But I speculate that Zakaria coming in will free up Locatelli to play slightly higher up the pitch um, and that that would also help with the chance creation uh, issue uh, and not to mention just playing you know a player like Locatelli in a position that I guess seems to be a bit more optimized for him or a bit more natural for him so yeah again I mean I speculate that I, I mean I don't know I mean you, didn't, you never know what Max is uh, thinking what all I like he's thinking but yeah I mean I think that would be a pretty good sign as well just with respect to, to Vlaovic's success um, at the club yeah I'll, I'll jump in and say right now part of as Chuck said I, I had I mentioned before we hit record here that I reached out to our our, our uh, friends at Fear the Wall the Borussia Dortmund blog to be like okay what are what is Juve getting in this guy and ba- the first thing that I got back was he does all the things you actually want from a center defensive mid so that that was good to hear that is indeed. So you know, hey, let's. Uh, the Gattuso yeah. to uh, the Gattuso to everybody's uh, to, to Locatelli's lesser version of Pirlo. Obviously, I'm not comparing, making that comparison with a straight face, but the the analogy is 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 there. Gattuso would kill people, so Pirlo could make really awesome passes. Like I think that's going to be the same kind of thing. And if I can um, just make a quick mention, um, quick final comment before I pass it off to Sergio, just on the uh, on my first takeaway just uh, when we started it, uh, the podcast just kind of touch on that again I mean I, I agree with you Sam in the sense that um, I mean I do foresee Moise Keen at least playing on the left and I guess Morata as well which hey, you know why not try um, I think it could work out I think it, it's an experiment that could could work however I, I I personally anyway only envision that happening in a, in a 4-3-3 just like those two playing um, on the left wing I, I mean, I'm not sure slash I'm skeptical that I'll, that we'll see it in a 4-4-2. I think um, a 4 2 3, one is more likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could. That, yeah. Because that that allows Dybala to slot back into the hole behind Vlaovic, which, I mean, you can think that if, you know, with a good competent double pivot of Locatelli and, and Zakaria behind him, he can do things in that formation that he used to be doing with with Gonzalo Higuain during that during the Cardiff year. That could turn out to be a real issue for setting out defenses if the two of them end up having any any chemistry at all together in a formation like that. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, and I'm sure we'll touch on that later, just on what this means for the tactical changes uh, for Juve. I'm very, I mean, there's yeah, so many tactical iterations that could happen then with this team. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah, you know, like a lot of a lot of the things you guys said, I, I share, and you know, obviously, I'm very, very excited for for Blahovic. Obviously, that, that that's the marquee name. That that's the big signing. And you know, if if we're going on, you know, old takes exposed right now, I do remember, you know, going on a long rant last pod, specifically saying why 
Blahovic was never going to sign for Juventus. And then, well, here we go. I guess it's you and me both chocks with some egg on our face. But, you know, it happens. It happens. You have to have takes. Sometimes those takes don't pan out. And I'm pretty happy about that take not panning out because, you know, to me, he is exactly the type of guy that you, you know, that, that you invest heavily on, that you actually take this type of swing in. To me, it's a very similar move than the, the, the one they swung a couple of years back for a Matai Zali, a dude who is just so talented, so young that, you know, it's very, very hard for me to see how this signing doesn't end up, you know, being really, really good for Juventus. And if that had been the only move in the transfer window, I'd, I'd, I'd have been ecstatic. I'd, I would have been very, very happy. But to also have the, you know, to also complement that with Denis Zakaria, who I, I, I've seen a little because he's Swiss, I tend to pay attention to, to Swiss players just, just because, um, you know, he, he's good. I think he's really good. I think he f- fits a need. And not only does he fit the need, he, you know, they got him for 5 million euros. A dude who, who you know, in the market, you know, you'd be talking about 30, 40 million for a guy like that. They got him for 5 million plus add-ons and whatnot. But I mean, that's a really, really good deal. Those were the type of deals that, you know, the old Juventus used to make, like the old Juve board used to make, like just very cost-conscious, but also just very smart moves, very approachable moves. And I think it it really signaled a, a whole different way of, of making business with, with the new board. I think it, it was it was very, very good move. And I think both of those guys are going to be, you know, extremely important for a club from the moment they get here. Like, I, I do think that, you know, I, I would have been completely okay just with Blahovic because I think just Blahovic alone makes this team so much better. You also add Sakaria to it. You know, this is, I think this is a better team. I think coming from the winter transfer window, this is a much, much better team. And honestly, that's really all you can ask for as, as a fan for, for the board to realize that the team needs to be better and for them to actually make the team better. And, you know, again, we can, we can sit here and discuss all the money issues which we apparently don't know nothing about because when they, whenever they need to, they can just make up like over 70 million euros in, in January for, for a guy. When they really believe like they need a guy, they can go and get that guy. And, you know, I think that's something that Juventus has always done very well and, and has been doing the last few years, right? Like they saw a need for a Chiesa, they went and got him. They saw a need for a Matiza League, they went and got him for Manuelo Catelli. Like they can still swing these big money moves. And, Obviously, you know, whether or not that financially makes sense and whatnot, that's, you know, that's going to be for someone else to figure out. But just on the field, on the talent, the two guys they got for very good deals, very good transfers, I think are going to make the team better. And I'm really, really excited. I, I honestly thought that, you know, top four was, was the, you know, was the ceiling for this team. I think this, this signings put them a level above. I still don't think that they're going to, you know, challenge for the league title just because of, you know, how many points are already behind. But I do think that it's, I think top four is now pretty much a done deal with this signings. I think they, they, they can be a black horse type of candidate to make a, you know, a Champions League run, maybe even, you know, because they really addressed two of their biggest needs. They needed a, a central midfielder and they needed a big time striker. They got them both. I think they just completely solved two of the biggest weaknesses in the team. So, it's it's very easy to let your mind wander, but I, I really, really do believe this team is significantly better as January ends than you know when January began. You mentioned the the steel kind of aspect of it, and not to mention my conversation with our Dortmund friends again, but I will mention the conversation with Dortmund friends again. And I I basically posed the question to him is like, you know, the, the sense I'm getting is that, you know, even if he goes back to his you know, he's battled injuries the last couple of years, but if he goes kind of goes back to the pre-injury player, is is it a steal? And they're like, well, it's it's a steal either way. So, like you alluded to, Sergio, it is definitely a kind of a low cost kind of investment where the the impact can be a lot bigger than what Juventus paid for him. Yeah, this is a this is a Beppe Marotta type of move. You know, this is the kind of of thing that he would do. The one thing that that I want to that, that I'm still a little cautious over, Sergio, you're talking about 
you know, the, the, the team can come up with the money when it sees the play, sees the player that it needs, you know, for a big signing. We said that a lot about Barcelona too, for a lot of years until finally that whole, that we real we, it was discovered that was a whole uh, house of cards that came crashing down. Now, yes, Barcelona does not have a enormous business daddy in the form of Exor to, to keep it afloat. But I do think that it is, it's still a little bit wonky to me that this can't be a a regular occurrence, at least until the finances start normalizing after the pandemic is well and truly over. Because you, you have to remember, we've already kicked two huge moves down the road. The remainder of Chiesa's purchase is going to be completed this summer. The remainder of Locatelli's is going to be completed the next summer. I doubt we're going to have much of a summer transfer budget. Of course, here we were saying that just now for for the winter, but you know, you do have to still be careful that you know Juve had been using the credit card a lot by with all these loans with with obligate with obligations down the road. Now you just like plunking one down for Vlaovic. We should still be wary about getting into that kind of a position that Barcelona was in, where things kind of snowballed and all of a sudden you had a, a club at Barcelona where you couldn't do something like keep Lionel Messi on the team. Obviously, Serie A doesn't have the same kind of financial rules as as Spain does in terms of being that strict, but you still have to you still do have to watch that balance sheet. Obviously, the other big moves of the week helped in that regard uh, as well, um, which I guess we'll talk about right now. But I, I I don't think it's wise to just keep shelling out this way when the team's finances really are still very unstable. And, and I agree to, to, to a certain extent that, you know, again, like those numbers, a lot of the numbers that we've been seeing are, are publicly available, right? Like we are seeing that the club is losing a bunch of money. Like th- th- that is a reality. So, and that's really why. Yeah. I, I, and we're, and, and these... Juventus are more transparent about that than most because they have to be because they're traded on the stock exchange. Yeah, exactly. So where a lot of so other clubs know... aren't that, but we know to a certain extent that they are losing money, but, you know, I think it's, it's such a big part that the Exer thing, I think, you know, Juventus has, has that, has that backing. So I don't really see a Barcelona thing happening just because they have that backing. And when they have gotten into trouble, they have gotten that backing and, you know, it, it's not the greatest or healthiest way to run a club. I admit it's not very well managed when you're just like, Oh, I screwed up so much that I need a bailout. Like, that that has happened for Juventus before, and just the fact that they have it right now, it my it's my opinion that that's probably why they felt a little bit more confident in swinging these deals. Also, that you know these two players, both Sakaria and Blahovic, especially Blahovic, but but Sakaria as well, they are guys that you know even if they don't pan out, and this is a great transition about guys that we shelled out a lot of money for and didn't pan out. You know, once, even if they didn't pan out or even if, you know, at one point you have to sell them again because, you know, you, you, you don't have the money anymore, you know, they have that resale value. And that's why to me, you know, these signings virtually have no downside because, you know, this is not a Cristiano Ronaldo situation in which it was a lot of money then. And you knew just because of, of, of his age and just because of the stage of, of his career when he came into Juventus, that there was not, you were not going to recoup that money in a, whenever he decided to leave the club, and they didn't. But you know, if Blahovic down the road in five, six, seven years, hopefully, if he pans out, never. But if you ever have to resell him, like you know, you're going to have, you know, you're going to get your money's worth when you resell that guy. Same for Sakaria, right? Like they're getting him for peanuts, pretty much. If down the road you need to turn him into profit, that's something that you can very easily do. I think. You know, this transfers, it's, it, I agree that it's kind of weird where they got the money to do them, but in and of itself, like the transfers on their own, I think stand up as, as you know, I think financially savvy moves because you're, you're investing in relatively young guys that at worst are going to have to some resale value down the road. And I think that's a much better way of building your team than what they were doing, which was chasing veterans that, you know, once they were out of contract, you were not going to be able to, to flip them for profit. So I, I, I really, you know, in their first full winter transfer window, just A-plus all around for, 
for the new for the new Juve leadership. Quick note on the just on the finances thing. We do note that just reading from the official details of the Vlaovic deal, his transfer is uh, so let's see, uh, payable in three financial years. So again, it's another one of those deferral installment which lord knows how we get away with this well, stuff that honestly that's how a lot of transfers used to be you know spread out over yeah, it is. three four years so that's Iguain not was over Iguain was over two i'm pretty yeah. sure yeah i guess it's just a succession of um just a flurry of them we've done recently just a flurry of big ones we've done i think you know, are, are you just trying to hint that you were surprised it wasn't a loan with an option to buy <laughs> well, well yeah yeah plus i don't know i just thought like i thought especially with how much fiorentina just like I don't know, don't like us. But then I guess I guess Vlaovic pushed for this deal. So when when the player who is valued at that much money only wants to sign with one club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you try and still flip that player to a Premier League side or two for the same amount of money, if not more, and Dusan says, nah, then guess what? Juventus is the only place you will be getting money for that player. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Can I mention one last thing before, and I know I, I offered you the segue into the sales, but one other thing that I was, I think we were all a little bit taken aback when the, the intro, intro video came out as to what Dusan Vlahovic was wearing, specifically the number he was wearing. Yes. Like there's a part of me that thinks that that was more the club pushing him into that than him wanting it. Cause I mean, the hashtag was del- that hashtag to me was deliberately provocative. Yes, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I mean I, I enjoyed it as well, but I was <laughs> I I hadn't wanted anybody to take the seven this year just because whoever was going to wear that next was going to be under a microscope regardless. And now you're you've got a you've got Vlaovic coming in who is not only being not only is he just wearing that shirt coming in as, you know, the guy that's supposed to come in and save Juventus' season by scoring a ton of goals. Sorry, Danny. But now you also, he also has the pressure of, of the team very deliberately taking shots at Cristiano Ronaldo and, and giving him the seven shirt, you know, to, to be, to be like, Hey, he, Hey, here's our, here's the next guy. Here's the guy that, that we can move on from you with. And I, don't necessarily know if that's the best if that was the best way to go about it in terms of just putting a a, a, a man, manufactured extra pressure onto him for that and i wanted to know if you guys thought of thought this i want to know if you guys thought the same or if you didn't think there was it, it it was a big deal well let's let's turn it over to a man who has said a few things about juventus's social media things in the past sergio romero how would you rate the the reveal of Dusan and obviously the very pointed shots, if you want to call them, at a certain Cristiano Ronaldo. It's just, you know, first off, I I would like to say and give a big shout out to the Juventus social media team. That was a really cool video that they did to unveil him. Really cool, good audio, like the, like the lights thing in the stadium. Like, I think they've gotten really good at generating hype around their own players. I think that was a really cool video. Obviously, you know, my guy's not a very good actor. I would say that, but you know, I mean, he doesn't have to be <laughs> um, because really all he had to do was run and then kind of scream into the camera supposedly. And that was pretty unconvincing. I thought, but Hey, listen, you don't have to be a good actor. You just have to score goals. And I, I think he's going to score a bunch. Uh, you know, to me, this, this did feel a little bit revenge E uh, in a way it was kind of, you know, it, it was a little bit of Juventus getting their groove back and kind of being like, hey, we're still like big dogs. We, we can still swing this type of deals. And sure, Ronaldo, which was our latest big swing, didn't quite pan out. And, you know, he left in, in a bit of a, you know, in a kerfuffle type of way. But, hey, six months later, and we got, you know, a, a brand new number seven who's 
really young, really good, who's probably going to be a star for the next 10 years. You know, we are back type of thing. That's kind of how I read it. But at the same time, I think, you know, number seven is a very popular number. I think it's just a very popular number. I think, you know, they probably wanted to, to have something to do with it. And maybe Blahovic did want that. You know, we, we don't know. I thought it was a bit petty, maybe. But, you know, I can't imagine that that is going to have a, a big impact on, on whether or not, you know, if Blahovic feels any certain pressure or anything. I, I don't really see that happening. I just I just thought it was kind of funny that they they very quickly kind of turned around for the number seven. But hey, they, they could, you know, once Morata leaves, they could switch numbers back again and that's you know I, give the seven to someone else. Or yeah, I mean that's it, it could I, I happen, assume Vlavic so. is gonna get the nine once Morata leaves. Yeah, it could. It could, or maybe he just keeps the seven. Like that's kind of a cool number for a striker. Uh so who knows? All I know is that I'm I'm really happy. I didn't jump to trigger and buy the Blahovic number 28 jersey, which was like all the rumors were that they were getting like number 28. And I was like, oh, well, look at that. I'm really happy I didn't pull the trigger on that one. But, you know, you're just going to turn that Demerol jersey into a Blahovic jersey, huh? Exactly. Exactly. And it's going to be kind of interesting to see if they do switch numbers in the summer. And then if you get the Blahovic number seven jersey, it becomes kind of like a lecture's edition type of thing, right? So, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with that. But that's that's another that that's something for another day. I mean, I don't really have any particular opinion on the <laughs> numbers besides uh, mathematics and uh, econometrics. But the only thing, uh, well, yeah, I guess the only thing I'll say on it is, uh, I guess it's a little less. I mean, I got the feelings a little less of uh, you know kerfuffle about the whole number thing because there's less emotional baggage around in the number seven at Juve than there is at, well, say Manchester United, obviously, or um, other clubs. With us, it's obviously about the number 10, and, you know, we've resolved that issue, uh, you know, when Del Piero retired, and then, you know, Tevez, Pogba, Dybala, etc. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I personally don't give much money. You never know what might be happening in the summer in terms of the number 10 trucks. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah, well, that's uh, we've talked about that ad nauseum. So, yes, yeah. yes, we have. Well, well, before we get to some Twitter questions, we'll talk uh, real quick about the the two guys who are leaving. And Sergio alluded to kind of the the ability to sell players while obviously they're still young, but also still have some sizable resale value. And one of them, part of that resale value, goes to Boca Juniors, but the other one in in Dayan Kuliseski when. I believe right now it's being discussed, and like I said earlier, we're on Sunday where you haven't seen any official announcements on these deals outside of Lovic, is that it's an 18-month loan, $5 million loan fee with $35 million plus add-ons as a option to buy, which can be an obligation to buy depending on certain things being met, like Tottenham making the Champions League and everything. And I think Sam is nodding, so I hope I got that right. It's the obligation either Tottenham makes a Champions League or Kulusevsky appears in 50% of Tottenham's games. Yes. I believe those are, that's the two, it's a two pronged obligation. Either one of those gets hit and, and it kicks in. So let's hope that his conversion into an Antonio Conte wingback goes successfully. No, I, <laughs> I say that in jest, but anyway. You shouldn't. That's probably, I shouldn't because it's possible. <laughs> but, you know, we, we look at it and they're obviously players and, as Sam said at the beginning, two of our large adult sons are no longer Juventus players. But if you look at it, they were two players who probably were the ones outside of Federico Chiesa, who Juventus could have gotten the most money for, or I should say Chiesa and Delict, who Juventus could have gotten the most money for at this point in time. So whoever wants to go first, your thoughts on the two players leaving after talking so much about the two players arriving. Uh, I mean, well, first off, it's it's nice to have it's nice to be able to sell again. Period. Because Fabio Paradici was terrible at selling and anybody. It's, it's ironic that it is now. That, yeah, Paradici. Fabio's the one yeah. buying it's, them. Not only are we losing the large adult sons, we're losing in that we're losing them to the X. It's uh... as somebody I forget who it was. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or the comment section, but somebody said the best summer transfer move was. Was, Paratici going to, was Paratici to Tottenham, to Tottenham because yeah. then here you go. Now you've got a pipeline and Conte as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Paratici has been really actually kind of obsessed with 
with Serie A talent as he tries to get Conte uh, somebody to reinforce that team. It, it's a little bit bittersweet to me for with both of these players, just because I think, I mean, with Benson core, I think there was a potential that was just never reached. You know, we all remember the end of the 2020, 1920 season, everyone was, was thinking that Benton was about to take the next step to really become a major star and then just took such a face plant last season. And for, for reasons that I don't think anybody can really have really been able to explain yet. It, it just wasn't, it wasn't good, but this, this is probably, you know, a greener pastures move for him. That's, that's a good one for him. As for, for Kulusevsky, he is just, I, I think he was, he would have been a good Juventus player had he come to Juventus a couple years later. He is just such a, he, he is, you know, we've all said this a lot before. He is extremely talented. You can see that when he's out there on the pitch you, and when he's in a good run of form, like he was towards the end of last season, you can see where he's going and what he can do. But he is just so rough right now and he needs a lot of polish and hopefully at a, at a place like Tottenham with a coach like Conte, because Conte has, has been able to, to put that kind of polish on players before. Um, I, I think that that was, that will also be a really good thing for his career as well. It, it's, it's unfortunate to it's two, two, I think very talented footballers that just didn't quite, that, that didn't quite hit where they were, where we were hoping them to go in a Juventus shirt. I liked the, uh, the Juventus Curva Sud on Instagram wrote a really classy message to Bentancourt, uh, wishing him well. And, and I wish both of them well. And I, I, I hope they do have uh, a lot of success under, under, under Conte or whoever else manages them in the future at whatever clubs they're at, because I think they're good footballers that just, I think both needed a change of scenery at this point. Yeah, I you know I agree with, with pretty much every every point you made there, Sam. I, you know, just on, on the on the sense of of you know that part that you couldn't sell players. I, I think that's true to an extent because he was also left with a lot of guys that were just going to be very hard to move, even in the best case scenario, right? Like you had dudes like Sami Kedira, whose body broke down, uh, Gonzalo Iwain, who was you know older and had very high wages and. You know, everybody and their mother knew that Juventus didn't have any leverage because they had just signed Cristiano Ronaldo. You had to get rid of Blaise Matuidi, like a lot of guys who just didn't really have a lot of resale value. So it was going to be tough to get anything from them. And I think that's that's exactly why, even though the, the Kulusevsky signing didn't pan out and, you know, an 18-month loan with that, like an obligation to buy that feels pretty reachable to me. I doubt that that he's going to return to Juventus. I think that that clause is going to get activated. But, you know, that to me is exactly why, you know, that signing for Kulusevsky, for example, even if it didn't pan out, I think that's exactly the type of move that Juventus has to make nine out of ten times because he's a young player who has a lot of talent, who never quite developed for Juventus, who never quite shown the way we thought he would. But, you know, when it's all said and done, he's still super young. He's still super talented someone's going to bet on that. And I think, you know, betting on talent and youth is going to end up working out for you more often than not. I think, you know, the fact that Kulusevsky never really, you know, developed to the level that we all wanted him to, it's a shame. But, you know, you can still turn around and, and get a pretty decent, you know, a pretty decent amount for him because someone's going to bet on that talent. And, you know, similarly for Bentancur, I mean, actually, I think Bentancur is younger than Sakaria. Like, you know, he... He's still young, but, you know, he, he failed to develop. I think, like I said, I, like Sam said, I, I agree 100%. I think the best thing for both of them is a change of scenery, is a change of scheme, is to kind of like, you know, reboot and, and get another chance. And it really would not shock me, especially Kulusevsky, but, you know, even Ventacur as well, if they suddenly start playing really, really well for Tottenham. Like, it wouldn't shock me because they've shown that potential over and over again. And... You know, in terms of transfers, that's exactly the type of bets you have to make. Bet on youth, bet on talent. Some of them are going to pan out. Some of them won't. But even if they don't, like Kulusevsky, you still have an asset. And I think that's that's kind of where Juventus struggled recently. Like after acquiring a player, they, you know, just because of age or because of whatever, they didn't really have an asset anymore. It was more like a liability they had to get rid of. 
Kulusevski was still an asset. Like when he was put on the market, a bunch of clubs were interested. So, you know, it's 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 a shame. I think we all wanted to see those guys succeed. I think we all wanted those guys to be, you know, part of the next great Juve team. It, it didn't work out, but I think they're both, again, just good deals that, that Juventus got for two players that were out of favor. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's just a good deal that they got. And I think it's a deal that works excellently for everyone involved. Juve gets a pretty good chunk of money uh, from these two players, assuming that indeed the clause gets activated, which I mean, I'm pretty optimistic it will be. Take it from you know the player's perspective. Uh, first of all, they're going to be earning Premier League wages, which uh, pretty sure they'll be all right with that. Um, so you know, there's that. Um, but then from the like sporting perspective, you know, from Kulusevski, for instance, I mean, he's going to a winger heavy team in Tottenham. Um, you know, they're not definitely not shy about playing wingers. Um, even at the moment, Kyung Min Son is injured too, so there's you know some space uh, <clears throat> space on the lineup uh, there for him to play and. Or possibly Steven Bergwijn is leaving to Ajax. Uh, that's possible. Not sure that's going to happen. So yeah, there's that as well. Of course, a coach who knows Juve, who knows, I mean, he speaks Italian, knows, you know, um, knows uh, and just knows, okay, where these players are coming from. You know, so going to a coach who knows Juve well, just knows kind of just where they're coming from. Um, yeah, the environment that they've been in. And like I said, Spurs get two, I mean, two good players, two young players, two players who definitely have something to prove. And yeah, could use this as a kind of moment to revitalize their career. And and I'm also happy that they go to like a top, not, I mean, okay, top notch. I mean, just a top five Premier League playing club that, you know, I'm really happy. I would have, you know, I would have hated if they went to like, um, I don't know, Southampton or something or uh, uh, sorry, Calvin, but Everton. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that I think that would have been a real shame if that happened, but they're still going to like just a, top quality side you know just the side that has you know really high quality players um and you know could be doing better but i think they could make top four this season um and yeah have played champions league and just yeah just have ambition um you know that it isn't some kind of like you know kind of squandering side or anything so i think that's good and that's just respectful to the players as well i think just uh you know they've been just good professionals for the club. They've done, you know, nothing wrong. They've really put in their efforts. So I think they deserve just a good club, a good salary, just good sporting opportunity. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see that. And, uh, well, now for Juve, we're just going to, you know, for forsake all thine wingers and just, uh, <laughs> and well, yeah, it's going to be an interesting little uh, improvising. Yeah. Improvisation when it comes to wingers. I will say this, and obviously it's dependent on both teams making the Champions League next season, but knowing how the X effect works with these kind of things, Juventus should probably prepare for Tottenham being in their group. So now that I've gotten that out of the way, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> now that I've gotten that out of the way, we'll transfer into uh, the bevy of Twitter questions that we got this week. Obviously, Juventus having a productive final week of January has brought <laughs> brought out some folks we we don't usually hear from. So uh, we're just going to go around the, the Zoom real quick. I will send the first one over to Sergio from at Amit Champaneri1. How does Allegri now find the best balance for the first team with a genuinely much better squad and, most importantly, a goal scorer and solid midfield? Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. I, I'm assuming Allegri feels a lot like a, like a kid at Christmas that has a bunch of presents that doesn't really know where to start or what to play with because – I think you can go a number of different ways. I think, like I said in the beginning, I think this is such a much more complete team in general. And I think you can go in a lot of ways. And, you know, with Kulusevski leaving in a weird way, you know, you had that log jam at right wing and you had way too many right wingers. In a weird way now, that's kind of settled for you, right? Like you don't have that many wingers now because with Kiesa out, unfortunately, but he's out. Kulusevski's out. Now, really natural right wingers, you only have Cuadrado and, and, and Bernardeschi to an extent. So, you know, it just, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't pigeonhole in any formation. I think he could go, you know, in any number of ways with, with this, with this new setup. I, you know, a lot of people are not going to like this. I, I don't hate a 4-4-2 now with the current team, just because I still believe that Dybala is best suited as playing as a second striker. And you can put Blahovic and him up front 
and kind of, you know, now you have a bunch of midfielders. You can play around with that. You can have Quadrado playing in that right wing spot. You know, I think it can go a lot of ways. I, you know, it's another interesting, you know, idea to me could be even a 3-5-2, right? I think now you have the midfield to kind of make that work. You can go Sakaria, Locatelli, McKinney, and you can play with wing backs, right? Like you can use either Quadrado and Bernardeschi or even, you know, kind of use Morata in a weird, you know, makeshift winger role. Like it's it's really going to be very, very interesting to see how he adapts the, the entire team to that. I think, you know, it's just going to be really interesting, especially I think the Sakaria thing adds, a, you know, a, a very different, you know, a very different, you know, player in that mix that you didn't really need, really have before. Arthur didn't leave and he was kind of looking better. Uh, you know, it's it's not going to shock me if, if he goes out in a completely different formation than they had before, or if he just, you know, goes back to the good old 4-4-2 that we, that, you know, people love so much. So the, the, the thing is, even if he goes back to that 4-4-2, just because you have better players, I think it's going to look better. I, I, I really do believe that, you know, regardless of what he, of the way he kind of figures out how this team works, I think they're going to be better. And it's just going to be a, an interesting, interesting wrinkle for the rest of the season, a season that, you know, for a minute there, if, if it really looked like they're just going to compete for the top four and kind of be mediocre at it. And it was going to be kind of a grind to the end. Now I, I really do think that there's, there's an excitement back to, to, to Juventus fans that is, is always welcome. So I'm, I'm really looking forward for the first game and seeing how Allegri uses this, these new guys. And, you know, before someone makes that joke, no, I do not think that Allegri is going to bench Blahovic or those two guys because they're too young. I, I think he's definitely going to play them from from the get go, and and hopefully they, they'll hit the ground running. Well, Sergio, you read my mind because next Twitter, Twitter question for you, Sam, is from at Casper Roman J. How likely do you think it is that Max Allegri will give his usual and nonsensical Dusan's still a young player, let's not rush him speech and bench him for the first couple of games? Um, we might see him. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised to see Vlaovic coming off the bench against Hellas on Sunday, but not because of Allegri doing the, he's young. He's, you know, more because he, he just, I think he just needs to settle with the team a little bit. I, I think for, for Allegri, it comes down to, to being an established player at the top flight level, as opposed to age. Because we, we've seen him, you know, he's, he gave Dybala, you know, he gave Dybala the keys to the attack pretty straight away. He, he was a regular starter within a month, Dybala's first season and Allegri's first season, uh, or uh, Allegri's second season. You know, he's, you know, Locatelli is is relatively young and he he got, you know, he's he's going right away. I, I think that there are certain players that for Vla, that and Vlavic is one of them that he'll just say he's established he's a he's a guy will go I I think that you know there there are certain aspects of Allegri's views on how players should develop that I think are a little bit backwards these days but I don't think it's going to be I don't think Vlavic is going to be affected by that at all all right Chuck's over to you from at Andre Persana it seems like the new era of Juve management are mastering negotiations in secret. So much so that even the reporters like Romeo Agresti and Fabrizio Romano did not pick up on the Vlaovic transfer negotiations until very late on. Who do you think implemented the Luciano Moji style strategy of working in silence? Wow, that's a gosh, I got the good question. <laughs> well, short answer is I have absolutely no idea. Uh, I mean, the longer answer is, in a sense, it's interesting because it's, you know, it hits at the kind of the fundamental aspect of like, I guess, journalism and just, you know, journalistic leaks and stuff. It's like, how does that stuff actually come out? Like, because you think about it, okay, there's there's negotiations about a player. So let's say, you know, Vlaovic. So who are the parties involved? It's Vlaovic, it's the agent. It's well, Juve, so what, Cherubini, uh, Arriva Bene, and yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, that would really be it. I mean, basically those four individuals, and then, yeah, I mean, what, they send emails, they send, I mean, their phone calls. So, you know, it really begs the question, like, how do these things actually leak out? Like, someone has to tell, like, someone has to purposely go and be like, all right, uh, 
Aiva Benatola, Agresti over there that were talking to Vladovich, you know, like, it, it, I don't know, it's something I've never really thought about, but I think we just take it for granted that this stuff gets out somehow. But if you think about it, fundamentally, there should be only four or five individuals that should really know about this, know about a transfer of a player. And then, yeah, it's basically those people that, I mean, purposely just say, you know, okay, let's tell I guess he'll still Romano and stuff. So, you know, I, obviously I have no idea <laughs> what the answer to the question is, but it is, I mean, it's thought provoking stuff. And, you know, in the sense that, you know, when you just like, who does it, you know, who, what's the policy? Like who, who says it's okay to leak stuff to the press and when it's not like, does it accidentally happen? Does it purposely happen? I mean, yeah, who knows? I, I have no idea. Agents are yeah. the ones that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The but that's, but even then, it, okay. So agents most likely, but then surely there's some kind of, judicial like like surely as, as a company you could say that that's some kind of some kind of nda somewhere that somebody signed that like if an agent goes out on his own and leaks that stuff i mean surely there's some kind of legal recourse you can take if you didn't as a club you didn't want that to go out um you know so i don't know it's, which again it begs the question that well as far as i know no agents have been well not many agents have been sued for for you know leaking information so that means that the clubs are what okay with it i guess i don't know i mean or they're just like well it's happening so what are we gonna do so i, I don't know it's, it's i would love to know it's a very interesting dynamic that's for yeah for- it's, it's it's just this whole kind of unwritten rules of like well we're not officially going to leak it ourselves but you did it and we didn't really actually tell you to do so but you know what yeah, we're gonna let it slide, kind of. You know, uh, I don't know. I will. I will say this, and and for those of those of us can't remember where all of us are at in terms of the viewing, but in the All or Nothing documentary, they follow around. I, I'm blanking on his name, but he's one of the guys who is towards the top in terms of the writers at Tuto Sport, and he, you know, they allude to it a couple of times. I think it was when Juve last January were going through their their co- kind of their their main COVID cluster and it was when delict tested positive right before a game and there and basically like you know the the guy got tipped off and he called and the and the narrator goes and then so and so calls his contact at juventus so i mean you, you, we don't know where on the chain they are in terms of the front office but there are people there or it could be a coach who, who knows i mean there are people within the club you know you hear the sources well you don't know where they are but they're sources so it's not just the agents, but yeah, agents definitely play <laughs> play into it a lot. Right, and that's the interesting thing, right? That there's a contact at the club that there's basically an unspoken rule that this guy can leak, that we're going to give this guy some information to leak to the press whenever slash however we want. Yeah, I don't know. It's a very interesting dynamic. And yeah, I'd love to know the inside world of that. All right, we'll go one more time around the Zoom Zoom here with uh, with questions. First one is for Sergio from at lap is goat, he says it's an obvious question, but I'll ask it all the same. How do you, how do y'all want to see the team line up going forward with these new signings? Yeah, I, you know, just just because of of my personal preference, you know, I, I do think that the three five two is a real possibility, and I think it, it's interesting giving the team right. I think you can you can line up with your your center back, especially now that we're in the middle of the great Daniele Rugani revival, you know, you can kind of play with that. You can kind of play with, with, you know, a three-man back line, especially with Bonucci coming back, with Chiellini, you know, being healthy right now. I think you can play with a three-man back line and then line up with Zaccaria, Locatelli, McKenney, and then, you know, throw probably Bernardeschi on the left, as a wing back on the left, Cuadrado as a, as a right wing back, and then Dybala and Blachowicz up top. I think right now with the current team, that they have, I that to me would be really, really interesting to see. I think that's a team that can be very compact, that is going to be very hard to score on them. And if you if you finally give Dybala that second striker position with a guy like Blahovic, I really think he's going to keep putting up good performances. I, I would love to see that. I don't think it will happen, but I, I would love to see it nevertheless. Yeah, it's... I mean, I'm always looking for balance in the team, so I'm not looking for any of this Fanta Calcio stuff, you know, so... Um, oh, you're no fun. <laughs> so I'm not going to just chug on all the forwards and just play everyone, you know. I think just in terms of balance, I mean, obviously Vlaovic, you know, plays. And, I mean, Dybala as well. I think probably either 4-3-3 three, three or 
So 433 would then be benching Dybala. Would, um, would have to bench Dybala. Oh, I know. Um, it would be, uh, yeah, Cuadrado, Vlaovic, and uh, Morata, and yeah, slash Keane. Um, no, I'll, I'll stick with Keane for now just because we know how he plays on the left and we've done that. Like, that's more of a known quantity there. Still a bit of an experiment with Morata on left. And then, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the problem we've, we've alluded to of previously of Locatelli needing to be uh, unleashed, I guess, and just playing more in his natural position, so higher up the pitch. So you would need uh, uh, Zakaria for that uh, to play in a holding midfield. So it would be Zakaria, Locatelli, and I'll play, yeah, probably play McKenny or Artur. I'm not entirely sure. I'm leaning towards McKenny there. And then, yeah, just the defense of... Um, yeah, De Ligt. Oh, Rugani, why not? Uh, Rugani, De Ligt, and uh, yeah, Pellegrini and Danilo on the right. And and I would play Quadrado more as a defensively oriented winger because, um, you know, Keane slash Morata, I mean, they're strikers that are going for goals. So you want to get that balance. You want one winger to be a little bit more, uh, in, in Dutch, we call it met pint naar achterspelen, which literally means to play with the point backwards. So anyway, kind of gets the point there. So yeah, that's uh, roughly what I would play. Say that again. Mets the pins not after So yeah, literally. I won't ask you to spell that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> one, two, three, four. Wait, Mets the pins not after Six words. I was about it to say that, like that can't word. be all one word. No, 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 no. It sounds like one word. Six, yeah. That's the... I know with that family of languages, you never know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yes. Like I think in I think in my, my dad once told me that in Swiss German there's a uh like a 14 syllable word that means kitchen cabinet or something like that. I, I'm I'm also I'm of the opinion that a four, two, three, one is the best part is the best thing for this team with a, a Zakaria and and Locatelli really turning into the the main double pivot. Kane on the left side, a rotation of Quadrado and Bernadeschi on the right side, obviously with Morata also there, but I think Kane is the is the way to go. Dybala in the hole. And I think a, a very first choice defense would be Danilo, Delict, Chiellini, and Pellegrini. All right. Last question here for the group from at Juventino BNA. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a wood if a woodchuck said we'd have a kick-ass January transfer window this century? A lot of wood, like 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 a lot of wood. Yeah, a whole lot, a whole lot of dollars, a whole lot of euros, a whole lot of wood. That's uh, yep, that's yeah. I mean, it it, it really was surprising. <laughs> In all seriousness, I mean, in seven days we basically uh, yeah, I mean, significantly revamped the squad. The only thing, mis- I mean, only kind of, you know, issue, I guess, is just the whole Ramsey situation that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that remains uh, remains a bit of a dark point, kind of just Gianluca how that entire... said that there might be some movement on that. I was just about to tonight. say, Chuck, as you're saying that on the Twitter oh, really? machine, they're saying that there could be a late Premier League move for Ann Ramsey. So obviously <laughs> when this goes, when probably a lot of people listen to this, we might know what happens to Aaron Ramsey. Come on, Burnley. I hope so. Just for the good of everyone. I mean, it's come on, you know, this isn't good for anyone for Ramsey to still be around. I mean, for him, for the club, for just, you know, for everyone involved. If Ramsey leaves just just on a bias standpoint alone, you know, Juventus Champions League winners 2022. You heard it here first. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of wood, bro. That's a whole <laughs> that's lot of wood. Yeah, chuck. that's a lot. That's a whole lot. We won't use that sound bite to, to spite Sergio at all in the future, will we? This this question is uh th- this question reminds me of that Geico commercial back at the day. Hey, you damn woodchucks, quit chucking my wood. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. It's so strange how the car insurance commercials are so entertaining. <laughs> Just like, or insurance commercials in general, so bizarre. Oh gosh, it's like the most boring industry in the world. They have the most entertaining <laughs> They're so fun. Go such fun commercials. <laughs> the progressive the homeowners becoming their parents. That's like yes. the that's the campaign of the of yeah. of the. That's the campaign of the new decade so far for me. Yes. Yeah. And with all respect, obviously, to insurance people. Uh, yeah, obviously. Yes. Respect to the insurance people. We appreciate them. So on now that Chucks has shown respect to the insurance industry, <laughs> we will we will wrap things up for today. We didn't get to all the Twitter questions, but wanted to shout out a few people. Uh, Arthur Schmidt, the fourth, Sabi Bachi, 
a few others who sent in Twitter questions that, as I remember, it used to happen all the time. When we first did the pod, we just talked so much about a, a certain player that questions were would have been a little bit repetitive. So I uh, just wanted to uh, recognize those people. But as always, if you do want to send us the Twitter questions, feel free to send them in to us at Juventus Nation on Twitter if you want to follow us there, as well as on Facebook. Search black and white and red all over. If you want to like and subscribe to us, use that same black and white and red all over search tool on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. So as I catch my breath, for Sam, for Chucks, and for Sergio, this is Daniel saying thank you very much for listening, and hopefully there are no transfers, more transfer madness between now and then because this week has been long enough. 